Amen. Well, can you please turn in your Bible again to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, from which we read earlier in our service. And while you're finding the place, let me say that it is nice to look down upon the congregation and see uh, familiar uh, faces. I do observe that some of you have switched sides from uh, where, uh, when I used to be here, some of you used to sit on that side, you're now sitting on this side, and so that confuses me a little. Uh, But it's also good to see new faces here and people I don't recognize. And we pray that the Lord has been blessing you as you have been fellowshipping, worshipping here in uh, the Clocker Valley. Well, with our Bibles open at Matthew chapter 4, let's bow briefly in prayer and seek now God's help as we come to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee that we are in thy house, in thy presence. And we pray now that as we turn to thy holy, inspired and infallible word, that thou by thy spirit will apply its truth to all our hearts. I pray now for the infilling of the Holy Spirit with power. Come be my helper, I beseech thee. I need thee, Lord, and thy grace. Come now, minister to me, that I may be enabled to minister To others now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My text today, which for me is a rather surprising one, for it's a long one, it's Matthew chapter 4 and the verses 12 right through there to the end of the chapter. Whenever you read your Bible... You should always be looking out for, are there any indications in the passage where there are indicators of time or of place? In other words, when did these events take place or where did these uh, sayings, uh, were these sayings spoken? And that can help us in our understanding of the Word of God. In this portion of Scripture, which we read this morning, there are certainly two time markers and other place markers as well. And if you look there at the opening verse uh, of our text, verse 12, you will see that there is the first time marker or when these things happened. It says, Now when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And the second and more significant time marker when these events took place is over there in verse 17 where it reads, from that time Jesus began to preach. From that time. That is from the time that the Savior went to the northern region around Galilee. And from that point, or this point actually in time, until we come to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, where we have again this other uh, time marker, the same time marker, from that time, that text uh, tells us, Jesus began uh, to show unto his disciples how he must suffer 
or how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. It is from that text, that place in the text, in Matthew 16 and 21, that Jesus makes his journey towards Jerusalem, and Matthew records the last week of our Savior's sojourn upon this earth. Though Jesus did make excursions to Jerusalem, the most of his earthly ministry was spent in that northern region around Galilee. Before concluding his gospel account, Matthew brings the story back to Galilee once more. For in Matthew 28 and verse 16, the disciples there were called of the Lord to return again from Jerusalem back up to Galilee, where the resurrected Lord would meet with them. I want to turn you now to our text here in the verses 12 through to 15, where Matthew records the ministry, begins to record the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ upon earth. But I want you to remember this, that the ministry of Jesus Christ has not ceased. It continues to this day. How? It continues through his church and through the preaching of the gospel. Christ continues to minister by his Spirit through his church, by the gospel. So let's look at this ministry of Christ. And the first thing I want you to note from verses 12 through to 17 is the commencing of Christ's ministry. I have already pointed out to you the time markers that establish the beginning of Christ's public ministry there in verses 12 and 17. John the Baptist's ministry has been brought to an abrupt and to a sudden close with his imprisonment. But that in no way hinders God's plan and God's purpose. When one great mouthpiece for God is shut, the Lord raises up and even greater in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself when the Messiah himself comes to minister. And I want you to note that it was not in Jerusalem, the religious capital, that Jesus began and conducted indeed most of his earthly ministry. No, it was rather in the regions of Galilee, up there in the north. How often I say to you, may we have read our Bibles, but fail to note that the majority of our Savior's ministry was not there 
in the religious capital, but was rather up in the more remote region of Galilee. You know, the Bible, uh, we have often heard as its own best interpreter. And the book of Acts, you mightn't think to turn to the book of Acts that would help you interpret the gospel, but it does. Because in Acts chapter 10 and verse 37, we, we learn there that that is exactly where Christ began his public ministry. I'll read Acts 10 and 37 to you. Here's what it says. That word I say ye know, which was preached throughout all Judea, and, mark this expression, and began from Galilee. Began from Galilee. How privileged that region was. Yes, removed, we might say, from the center of things. Removed from where we might have expected the greatest religious activity. Oh, there was much religious activity in Jerusalem, yes. But here is true religion being demonstrated. How privileged Galilee was to have the ministry of Christ. And wherever the gospel comes, let me assure you, this is one, I'm going to say one, it is the greatest privilege that any region or area or town or city can know where Jesus Christ is preached and Jesus Christ himself comes to us in the gospel. You should thank God here in the Clocker Valley that he has maintained here and raised up here a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. What a privilege the people of the Clocker Valley have to have a, a place of God, a house of God like this where his gospel is proclaimed. Some 700 years or so earlier than the events we are reading about, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that this, in fact, would be the part or the region to which the Savior himself would come and minister. We read that there uh, in our Bible reading in the verses 15 and, and 16 the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtalim by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the, of the Gentiles. And the verse 14 tells us that comes from Isaiah the prophet, comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. This prophecy of Isaiah, by the way, gives us great insight into the spiritual conditions that existed in Galilee when the Lord came. Remember what I said earlier, how Acts helps interpret even the gospel? Well, here is Isaiah the prophet now helping us interpret Matthew because he gives us an insight into the spiritual conditions that would exist when the Savior came to minister in that area. You see, when Isaiah prophesied in his day, that northern region had been laid desolate 
by the invasion of the, of the Assyrians. Quite often when Israel was attacked, the enemy came in from the northern part into the country, and the Assyrians often came in there to the northern regions. And they laid the land desolate. That area knew, we can say, the oppressor's yoke in Isaiah's day. But now in the day of the Savior himself, they are still an oppressed people. Because the oppressor this time is the Romans. Their liberty has been taken from them. They are still in bondage. Their freedoms and their liberties, and indeed even their religion, has been greatly diminished. And I want you to note that I'm not just talking about their political bondage, but that was true also of their spiritual bondage. And what a dark spiritual picture hangs over that northern region to which the Savior himself began his earthly ministry. I want you to see from what we've read there, the region was covered with darkness, that is spiritual darkness. In verse 16, the people which sat in darkness, they had been blinded, certainly to some degree by false religion, because those invaders who came in with them, they brought their heathenism and their false religion with them, and that had an impact upon those who lived in that area. The region was under the power of darkness. The region was under the power of disease. You will see there in verse 23 at the end of the verse because Christ came there healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. I believe not only was there, yes, the physical and outward manifestations of disease, but it's a reflection of the spiritual conditions of people at that time. And then you will see, if we go back again to verse 16, that the region was under the power of death because the Lord came to a people there, we are told, not only which sat in darkness, but to them which sat in the region and shadow of death. Death hung over that region. In fact, it's even worthwhile me taking time just to point out to you there that the region is referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. You ever stop and think about, well, why does it say that? Is this not Israel? Yes. Is it not the land of Israel? Yes but it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. That's what I was referring to earlier there when I said the Assyrians had come in. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles, heathens. And heathenism and paganism brought darkness and death 
and spiritual disease among the people. But the good news was that Christ came to bring light to those who were in darkness. He came to bring liberty from the diseases that they were facing. He came to bring life to those over whom death reigns spiritually. And of course, he was able to do that physically as well. And you know what that is? That is a picture of what Christ is still doing through his ministry in his church today by the gospel. I want to say to everyone here that there is light, there is hope, there is life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is light for those who are in darkness and who are ignorant today of the the gospel. I don't say that in an offensive way. I was just like that myself for, in fact, quite a number of years. Though I had religion, I didn't have the light of the gospel. But I thank God that he came and the glorious light of his gospel shined in through, into my heart through the preaching of this glorious gospel. That's what the Lord did when he saved you. He let the light of his gospel shine into your heart and it will bring light, it will bring life, it will bring liberty. Oh, this region that we're looking at, Galilee, we can say that it was literally sunk low in the earth because Galilee and that region... sits some 207 meters below sea level. Even up there in that northern part, if you know something of the topography or geography of of, uh, Israel, you'll know that there is that uh, great uh, valley that runs almost the whole way up uh, the, the border of the land and is down below sea level. Here's an area. It has sunk low physically, but I tell you, that's where it was spiritually. It was sunk low. There was darkness, disease, and death. Sin reigned. But Christ came with a message to lift the people of that area up from their sunken spiritual state. Oh, how good it is to be able to proclaim a gospel that can lift the most sunken of sinners, no matter how far, far down you may have gone or a sinner can go. God, by the mighty power of his gospel, is able to lift you up and to set you free from your sunken and sinful condition. How? Well, he tells us here how this people 
could be lifted up by his grace and by his power when he gave to them that spirit of repentance. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, here's how they were to know deliverance. And how can you and I ever know the life-giving, liberating power of the gospel whenever we repent and turn to the Lord and seek him for mercy and for grace? I tell you, I assure you, he will save you. I must move on. Secondly, consider with me the calling ministry of Christ. And you'll see that in verses 18 through to 22. Christ could have chosen to conduct his ministry alone. And uh, he had certainly the power. But he chose in his great plan to use men to assist him in his work and ministry. In this next section that we're looking at, verses 18 through to 22, Christ calls four of the twelve disciples. Throughout his ministry, the Lord Jesus, you will know, called many people to himself for salvation. But here he is calling people to service, to serve him. And it's interesting to note in these verses that there are two sets of brothers that the Lord called on this occasion that we read of here in Matthew chapter 4. In verse 18, we find him calling Peter and Andrew, and then in verse 21, calling James and John. All of the, four of them were of the same trade. They were fishermen. Let me make just a few comments about the call of Christ to his disciples. I want you to notice, first of all, here their call. Notice that there was a distinctive call uh, to service. In the verse 18 there, he saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting nets into the sea. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There is such a call even today. The Lord calls out people into his service. In fact, I say to you, one of the greatest curses that the church of Christ could experience is to have someone who is not called of God. The servant. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament clearly teach us that God calls individuals to service. Now, he calls all his church to serve them. If you want a reference for that, you can look up uh, Colossians 3 and 24, where Paul said there to the congregation in Colossae, ye serve the Lord Christ. You should be serving Christ. Don't leave it all uh, to the minister or elders. You should be serving Christ. We all should be serving Christ. There is something for all of you to do, his, uh, for his people to do. 
You notice their call. You notice their consecration. Why do I speak of their consecration? Well, uh, we look here and we see that here were men that Christ called that were totally consecrated and sold out to him. How do I see that? Well, I see it there uh, where it it tells us that when Christ uh, called uh, these uh, men there in verse uh, 20, it says, they straightway left their nets and followed him. They gave up all for Christ to, to serve him. It tells us also there about James and John. It says of them, and they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. This was a total commitment to serving Christ. I make a general application. Are you committed to serving Christ? I know little of the activities or who does what in this church today. I simply ask the question, how are you serving Christ here? In this congregation, in this community. Notice their cultivation. I see their cultivation or preparation in those words to be soul winners, where the Lord said to them, I will make you fishers of men. Oh, they need trained, and they spent time with Christ so that they could learn this holy art of soul winning. May our church never lose that evangelistic thrust in it, it seeks to win the lost for Christ. The venues, while you don't see it in the, the text itself, but later on in Matthew, you see their commissioning. Matthew 10 and 4. G, the, these 12 Jesus sent forth. That's what we need today. That's what you should be praying for today. Lord, send forth laborers into thy harvest. And then I come thirdly and finally this morning. And ask you to consider with me as we look now at verses 23 through to 25 at the curing ministry of Christ. How Christ cured and healed multitudes by his power. The verse 23 certainly highlights the extensive and wide-reaching and far-reaching ministry of the Lord. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Jesus went about all Galilee. Oh, he didn't go there as a sightseer. He went there as a savior. And Matthew calls our attention to three aspects of Christ's ministry. You will see that Christ had a teaching ministry, teaching in their synagogues. There is need always for the Christian ministry, even today, to have a teaching element, an instructive element. 
that which opens up God's Word and shows you the riches of it and the meaning of it. But Christ also had a preaching ministry because it tells us they are preaching the gospel. The proclamation of the good news of how there is hope and there is life in Christ and through Christ. And Christ had a healing ministry because it tells us there, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. These were displays of Christ's miraculous power. Now we do not believe that today that, that there are those who have power to perform miracles as the Savior or the apostles did. But yet I say to you, Christ by his gospel heals the soul. A far, far greater work than even the healing of the body. For what even if your body is healed and it is perfect and you die with a soul that is not right with God and will be lost forever. So the greater work is actually the healing of the soul, which I believe was portrayed even in the miracles of the Lord Jesus, by the way. And what you see in these miracles of Christ is the confirmation that he was from God and what he said was of God. These mighty acts, these miracles showed that Christ was indeed the mighty powerful Son of the living God. They showed and demonstrated to all who saw him and heard him his mighty power. And I want you to think with me as I close of two things. First of all, I want you to think of how Christ's power is seen in the curing of the people. You see, all those who came to Christ recognizing, I need his touch. I need his help. Every one of them knew and experienced his healing, saving power. Look quickly at these verses. Doesn't matter what the condition of the people were. And I say to you in the gospel today, doesn't matter what your spiritual state is, how sunken or low you may be, the Lord today still has power to save you and to heal you. You look there at verses 23 and 24, I've already read them. You will see he cured all diseases, all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases, whatever your spiritual state might be, he is able to help you and save you today. He cured not only all diseases, he cured all distresses. And where do I get the distress? Well, I get it in that word torment in verse 24. He was able there to help those who were in torment. You know what Sin does, sin brings misery. What Satan does, it brings torment to the mind and to the soul. The Lord wants to give us his peace, but the devil wants to torment. 
Christ cured all those with demons. In verse 24, there's reference there to, the, uh, to those possessed with devils. Talk about hard cases. No case too hard for Jesus Christ to save and to cure. And he healed all those who were deranged. In verse 24, speaks of those that were uh, lunatic. Uh, they weren't thinking right. You know, there's a whole lot of people. And I tell you, their thinking isn't right today. Sin has affected how man thinks. You might think his whole gospel is, is, is foolishness. That's what sin does in the mind. He cured all those who were disabled. Verse 24 speaks of those with a palsy. That is those who were paralyzed. Couldn't help themselves. Like the palsied man lying there by the pool. He couldn't do anything to save himself. But when Christ came in that case, he was able to save him. You see, that what the Bible is telling us here, no matter what our situation, no matter how difficult or hard it might seem to be, can the Lord help me? He can help us. He has power to save you. He has power to deliver you. We don't save ourselves. That's why the preachers often speak of a mighty Savior, of a powerful Savior. And I want to tell you, he has power to save you today. You see his power in, the, in his curing the people. I want you to see, finally, his pity in curing the people. We see his pity as he comes to cure these people. Oh, what pity! What sympathy. Jesus Christ had upon those diseased and distressed and demonic people. He had pity. He had compassion. We we see him reaching out there to, to those that the rest of society wanted nothing to do with and ostracized. We all know the story that the Lord told of the good Samaritan and how in that story there was the Levite, the religious man. And when he saw uh, the wounded man there that had fallen among thieves and robbed and left for half dead, what did he do? He walked on the other side of the road. I'm not going to help him. You know what the Lord is saying? By that he said, religion can't help you. But Christ can, because Christ, when he came, uh, spoken of as a Samaritan, the despised one, he was the one who helped. And Christ is the one who can help you, because Christ has pity upon us. I'm glad Christ had pity upon me. Are you not glad, Christian, that Christ had pity upon you? Oh, he's a pitiful and a sympathetic and a merciful Savior. And Christ's pity, you know, I want to say to you, hasn't weakened since he was here upon earth. He still is pitiful. He still is merciful. He still is ready to cure your soul, even today. Today is your opportunity. Today, you can experience his loving 
life-giving, liberating power. If you will but come to him. Child of God, I say to you, is there not need for us to be even more thankful when we think of what the Lord has done for us? We were just like those there in Galilee. In the shadow of death, but God came and gave us life. Let us thank him. Let us praise him. Let us bow in prayer. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for this outline of the ministry of our Savior. And it tells us, Lord, even what the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ today is to be as well. And we thank thee, Lord, for the ministry that thou hast given to thy church to go with the gospel. We thank thee, Lord, for that, that we have experienced this power and this liberating power. Oh, we pray that many more might come to know our Savior too. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.